Welcome to this special edition of Randall Parker's Film Club, where I'm just about to knock on the door of the flat where Miss Cynthia Rothrock is staying in London, while she's appearing at the World of Kung Fu exhibition at Earl's Court. So here goes, wish me luck. Hi, I'm Randall Parker. I've come to interview Miss Cynthia Rothrock. Hey, Cynthia Rothrock. You from the DSS, pal? No, Randall Parker's Film Club. You've got the wrong air, sunshine. Don't think so. Uh, flat 21, Jasmine Allen Estate, Canley, London. Look, darling, I don't know what you're talking about, so fuck off before I call the filth. What? I've only just... Oh, fuck You're listening to Randall Parker's Film Club, with me, Randall Parker. That was supposed to be my interview with Miss Cynthia Rothrock. What a fuck-up. When I got home, I got this... Strange sounds from the dark corridor. Dear Randall, imagine my surprise when I listened to your podcast last week and you were on your way to London to interview Miss Cynthia Rothrock. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that you would fall for my practical joke. I just assumed that you would have seen through it straight away and even recognised the email address, but now... You were so caught up in the moment you never once questioned why the only woman inducted into the Kung Fu Hall of Fame would want to be interviewed by an idiot with a tiny podcast. This shows how naive you truly are and you shouldn't be let anywhere near recording equipment. Thank you for giving me the biggest laugh I've had all year. Kind regards, The Dark Corridor. What a c***. What a fucking c***. That train ticket cost me 137 fucking quid. Just because he's not popular don't mean he can come here and fuck up my podcast. You, mate, are about as popular as piss on a bog seat. Now, okay, I admit I should have seen through this, and I admit I didn't notice the email address was the same as the dark corridors. But I think the adrenaline just kicked in. I did have a bit of a cry when I got the Dark Corridors email, but then I remembered I've still got the Dark Corridors home address from when I subscribed to that DVD service he run. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to see if Party Janet will lend me Gregor, and we can pop round and fuck him up a bit. Yeah, knock me for six, that did. It's been one wanky week, I can tell you that. Right, so on this week's podcast, we'll be doing all the usual things, reviewing a couple of films, reading out a couple of emails, and we'll have a film fact and a film face-off. But firstly, they do say bad luck comes in threes, don't they? Mine seems to have come in a fucking transit van full. When I got back on Sunday and read the Dark Corridor's email and I was halfway through digesting it, Mr White pops his head around the door, didn't knock, just came in. I could have been doing anything. Anyway, he sits on my bed. I didn't ask him to. He just sat down and said that he'd got some news for me. And instantly I thought, fuck yeah, I'm back to work. But now... He sat there and began to go on like a CBeebies bedtime story or something about how many years ago, before I was born, Mum used to work at White and Bailey. And this was when Mr White's dad ran the place, and Mr White was her line manager. He said that they fell in love, uh, but due to the fact that Mr White was already married, they had to knock it on the head. And he said this was about nine or ten months before I was born. Then he asked if I understood what he was saying to me, and he put his hand on my knee. I didn't get the foggiest what he was on about, but... Uh, I just told him yes, so I'd fuck off out of my room. But he didn't. He just kept going on and on and on about how over the past few months him and mum had rekindled their relationship and how mum was such a passionate lady and she had years and years of pent-up love and Mr White had reignited her flames of desire. 
I think he's trying to say they're constantly fucking. I have to admit, the image of them two playing gut poker did turn me stomach. I had to fight off the urge to vomit blood. Then the old fucker dropped the bombshell that, as time's getting on, uh, they decided they're going to get married. Fuck's sake, it's disgusting. It just ain't on. I was in shock. Then he ends the revelation with, if I liked, when everything was out in the open, I could start to call him Dad. I mean, why the fuck would I want to do that? So I says to him, I'll stick with Mr White at the moment, if that's okay. And he said, take it at your own pace, son. Now, to be 100% honest, I hadn't been coping with this news too well earlier in the week, and I stayed in my room only coming out for the occasional Twix and can of pop. Then on Wednesday, I bumped into Mr White on the landing, and he asked me if there was anything he could do for me to sort of like perk me up. And I said, yeah, get me back to fucking work. So the good news is I start back work at White and Bailey Fabrications next Monday. They do say that every cloud has a silver lining, don't they? Emails. Right, on to emails. Right, we've had a few emails this week, so let's get underway with this one. It's from a chap up in Sunderland, and it goes, Dear Randall, I love the Mad Max films, and although Mad Max Fury Road was a triumph, I did find the replacing of Mel Gibson with Tom Hardy as Max a bit jarring. Which character recasting in a film franchise annoys you? Many thanks, Paul Carter. Thanks for the email, Paul. Don't mind when they change an actor in a franchise when he's done like in James Bond, because that works quite well, doesn't it? Every generation has its own James Bond. But I think Paul's talking about when it becomes a distraction, like when they change Gandalf in the Harry Potter films. I mean, it was Richard Harris played him in the first two, and then for no reason at all they changed him to Michael Gamble. No reason at all. Thanks for writing in, Peter. Next email. Dear Randall, I love film and I love music. I can usually tell if I'm going to enjoy a film just by listening to the theme song. What is your favourite film theme song? Can't regard Rachel Dickens. What a shit question. Do you know, I don't think it can be asked to even answer that one. Yeah, I'm sorry about this. I'm afraid this week's standard of email has dropped a bit off this week, and this next email might explain why. Dear Randall, Raymond Cress here. I'd just like to say the emails you have been getting recently are something quite amazing. It's as if an 87-year-old man who has too much time on his hands has been making them up and sending them into your podcast. I retired in 1999, and my daughter thought it would be a good idea to get her recently widowed father onto the internet that, at that time, was just becoming popular. I soon found out it was a lot of fun sending aggressive emails to people and seeing how they react. I did enjoy the reaction I provoked with you, but when you gave out my home address, you stepped over a line. Over the past few weeks, I have been sending increasingly bizarre emails to try to provoke a reaction, but due to the fact you are a complete ignoramus, you did not notice. Where is the fun in poking a hornet's nest when the hornets are so backwards they can't find their arse with both hands? I shall bid you a fond farewell and return to Instagram to abuse some vegans with pictures of meat. Raymond Cress Well, I said bad luck comes in threes, didn't I? What an old twat. I've had about 12 emails I've had to throw away just in case they're from Raymond. I was looking forward to answering them and all. So it looks like for now, as long as I stick with the -the run-of-the-mill boring ones, I'll be on safe ground. Why are some people such twats? Randall Parker's Film Fact When making the film The Shining, director Stanley Kubiks used to constantly phone up the writer Stephen King at odd hours to ask him questions. 
One time he called him at 3am asking King, do you believe in God? To which King replied, yes. Cubics then shouted, fuck's sake, I knew it, and then slammed the phone down. Randall Parker's Film Fact I always thought really old people were supposed to be nice. I bet during lockdown when Captain Tom was marching up and down his patio, this bastard was feeding the local cats antifreeze. But at least we still have our film reviews, don't we? They seem to be chugging along quite nicely, so later on we'll have a film requested by a listener, Anita Bush, uh, called Dirty Dancing. But firstly, we will be reviewing our classic film called Welcome to the Dollhouse, made in 1995 by Todd Salons. Now this film starts with a girl called Dawn Wiener, who's about 12 and she's constantly getting picked on and being called ugly and a lesbian and all sorts of stuff. I used to get called all sorts like Four Eyes, Fuckface, Randall Dogteeth, Bumboy Parker, Quasimodo and Piss for Brains. And that was the teachers. You should have heard what some of the kids called me. But back to the film. Now Dawn lives at home with Mum and Dad and they don't give a fuck about her. And she's got an annoying sister who's constantly running about in a tutu and a nerdy brother who plays clarinet in a band. Her only friend is a lad called Ralphie who my mum would describe as being a bit light on his feet and they have a crappy little shed at the bottom of the garden where they hang out. Now there's this lad at school called Brandon and he's a bit of a twat and he's a school bully and he starts to copy off Dawn in a test and he gets caught and he blames her and they both get into trouble. Anyway there's this school assembly where this Brandon twat starts to spit chewed up paper through a straw at Dawn and she decides to retaliate but misses and blinds a teacher. Anyway, her brother has a fit mate who joins a band and our Dawn fancies him. And even though she's 12 and he looks about 30, uh, she likes him and then he starts to be friendly towards her. And he don't treat her like a freak. Back at school, the bully has a go at Dawn and she calls him a retard. And he says to her that because she said that, he's going to rape her at 3 o'clock. But she manages to escape when he tries and at home he gives her a call and says, can I meet you after school the next day? But after a bit, they seem to get on, and they kiss, and sort of become mates, until she says she fancies her brother's mate, and Brandon fucks off. Then for some reason, the mum and dad have a massive party, and the brother's mate she fancies basically tells her to fuck off. A couple of days after the party, she's supposed to tell her annoying sister that her mum won't pick her up after ballet class, but get a ride off your teacher, but she don't tell her. Then the sister goes missing, and everyone's worried. Well, not everyone. I was glad the annoying little shit had fucked off. But anyway, the police get involved and they're sure she's been kidnapped. So now Dawn fucks off to New York to find her and gives up after one night, but when she phones up home, it turns out the local pedo had been hiding her all along. When she gets home, she has a conversation with her brother saying, Life's shit, isn't it? Then she goes off on a school trip and it sort of ends there. Now, I did enjoy this film, even though it was quite dark and reminded me of my school days. And I fucking hated my school days. In fact, the only time I enjoyed school was when the caretaker went up on the roof and it was icy and he slipped off and ended up in a wheelchair and had to have his meals through a straw. Oh God, what was his name? Um, God, his name. Oh God, what, what? Oh God, what was his name? Uh, it doesn't matter anyways. Anyways, rating-wise, I'm going to... Dawson! Frank fucking Dawson, that was his name. It's all up there, isn't it? Just takes a bit of time sometimes. When the new caretaker came, he found a load of peepholes that old Frank had set up so he could peep the girls in the changing rooms. <laughs> anyway, ratings-wise, 
I really enjoyed this film, even though it did make me think of darker times. So I'm going to put this on a par with Zero Dark Thirty. That was Welcome to the Dollhouse. Watch that if you like hearing people in glasses chewing really loudly. Mr White asked me if I would do him the honour of being his best man and it would make him so proud to have me standing next to him in church. Church, I ask you, they've got a combined age of nearly 150. I politely declined anyway and said, I think I should probably walk Mum down the aisle. I said to Mum that if I'm going to walk her down the aisle, I'll need a new suit, and she said that her brother, Uncle Kenny, was going to give it away, and it had all been arranged. Uncle Kenny, that old pervert. Walk her down the aisle. What's he going to do, give her a backy on his fucking wheelchair? So I went back to Mr White and I said to him I'd be his best man, only he says he'd ask Stanley from the Bowls Club and couldn't go back on his word now. Mr White did ask that when him and Mum tie the knot, see if I'd like to change my name to White. And we could be one big happy family. He'd pay for it all, but I said no thanks. Randall White's film club doesn't have the same ring, does it? Besides, I'm building a brand here. You can't go chopping and changing names, can you? Randall Parker's Film Face-Off So on to our Film Face-Off, which takes two films with similar themes, compares them and decides which one you should watch. Now both of today's films both have the name of the main character in the title and they can seemingly do whatever the fuck they want with no consequences whatsoever. Both of the main characters take two gloomy downtrodden kids off to an unforgettable life-changing adventure and bung a couple of musical numbers in for good measure. Both characters go against the wishes of unbearable, stupid adults, and both of the main characters fuck off and leave the two kids to sort their own problems out. So, today's film face-off is between Mary Poppins and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now, Mary Poppins does have a cartoon sequence where Dick Van Dyke dances with a group of penguins, but Ferris Bueller does have an expensive Ferrari crashing backwards out of a garage into the woods. Ferris Bueller does have a scene where the headmaster of the local school gets kicked in the face, but Mary Poppins does pull a big lamp out of her bag. Now, Mary Poppins has Dick Van Dyke doing a really shite accent, but Ferris Bueller does have Charlie Sheen playing someone whacked off his tits on the drugs. But for me, there's just something about bunking off school and fucking up your education that I can't see past. So for me, the winner of this week's film face-off is Mary Poppins. Randall Parker's Film Face-Off now I've got a bit of sad news to share with you about everyone's friend Tommy Slippers. Now poor old Tommy is currently in hospital after getting run over on Wednesday night whilst taking a shit in the middle of the road. But fortunately for Tommy he was lunched up in a squatting position so when the car struck him he sort of just rolled down the street for about 100 yards and ended up in a hedge. But once he's out of hospital he should be in line for a nice bit of compo. In fact he's ended up in the next bed to Donny Tucker who's got two broken legs resulting from a spider bite. What happened was that our Donny was doing out his shed when he got bitten by a spider on the back of his hand. Anyway, after the swelling had gone down, Donny decided to test out if the spider had given him any superpowers, and he jumped out of his bedroom window. Just goes to show, don't believe everything you see in the films. Anyway, we wish both of them a speedy recovery. Now, when I was coming back from London, I was sat opposite some woman, and no matter what I did, she was determined to start a conversation with me. I tried reading the paper, didn't work. Open my laptop, didn't work. I even tried to pretend to drop off and that didn't work. 
she just wouldn't stop banging on about how public transport was the future and how the government should subsidise it to encourage people to leave their cars at home. Then I goes to me bag, right, and I gets out a pork pie and a bottle of water. Then she sees me bottle and points at it and starts banging on about it being a single-use plastic and how I was choking the planet. So I informed her that it wasn't a single-use plastic as once I'd finished it I was going to piss in the bottle and chuck it out the window. That shut her the fuck up. Now a quick shout out to the team at Watt and Bailey Fabrication where I work. Well I will do next Monday and according to Mr Watt I'll be down in Dispatch working alongside Robot Robert. Nice fellow Robert. Uh, he talks like Stephen Hawking but without the American accent. He used to be in charge of the IT department but had a bit of a breakdown after Y2K. He don't trust computers or the internet anymore. I think he's the only bloke I know who buys porn mags. And he's got all his favourite ones laminated. Anyway, I do know for a fact that Robot Robert is quite partial to a Bourbon, so I'll take him a pack when I start back. Randall's requests. Right, so on to our final film this week, and it's one from 1987 called Dirty Dancing. And it's directed by Emile Ardolini. Another Boston name, that. Anyways, this film starts in 1963 at a really shit Butlins in America, where a doctor with a face like a saddle takes his wife and two daughters for a three-week holiday. Three weeks? Bit fucking long, that, isn't it? If you spend three weeks on holiday in this country, you'd be guaranteed to spend at least two of the three weeks staring out of a steamy caravan window with it pissing down outside. It looks a fucking nightmare there. All sorts of activities and everyone knowing everyone else and everyone's expected to join in. They can just fuck off. Anyway... Now, the main woman in this is called Baby, who just so happens to be Felice Bueller's sister that I mentioned earlier on. And she gets pissed bored and goes for a wander and ends up in the staff's quarters where there's this dance going on, and everybody's rubbing their gussets together. I presume this is dirty dancing. Anyway, Baby sees Patrick Swayze and thinks, hmm, he's nice, and he teaches her how to rub the gussets together. Now, this does look a bit odd, because she looks about 18 and he looks about 45. Anyway, Patrick Swayze's dance partner, who he ain't fucking, is up the duff by a waiter who Baby's dad likes. And she needs 250 to get her baby sorted Vera Drake style. Now, Baby goes to Dad and says, can I borrow 250 quid? And he says, why? She says, I can't tell you. And he says, OK. But Patrick Swayze's dance partner can only go on a Thursday. And she has to go off and do some show-off dancing with Patrick Swayze on a Thursday. So Baby says, I'll take the place of the fully trained dancer and learn all of her parts in three days. So Patrick Swayze's dance partner nips off to get rid and Baby and Patrick do Boston of the dance showing off and they get back to Patrick's place and they're about to fuck when they find out that the abortion went tits up and Patrick's dance partner is in a bad way. So Baby nips off to get her dad and he makes it all better. Now, Baby's dad thinks that Patrick Swayze is the one who slung one up her and tells Baby to steer clear. Anyway, next day, Baby goes to Patrick and fucks him loads of times. Anyway, Patrick gets accused of being a robbing twat and gets the sack and is told to bugger off. But before he goes, he nips round to see Baby's dad and says, I enjoyed fucking your daughter. Let's be mates. And Baby's dad says, nah, fuck off. Well, Baby ain't happy with this and she says to Dad, you're a wanker, Dad. You don't like him because he's from a council estate. Anyway, Patrick goes, and there's this big party in the main hall of Butlins, and Baby's family are sat at a table to the side of the room. The waiter that Baby's dad likes comes over, and Baby's dad gives him a big wad of cash. Then the waiter says to him, I got that bird up the duff, thanks for getting rid. Baby's dad says, fuck off, and takes the cash back. 
Next minute, Patrick comes in. Then he delivers that line that everybody quotes. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Well, technically, Pat, it's not a corner. It's more off to the side behind a pillar. Looking at the schematics of the whole room, if her dad had put her on the opposite side of the table, not only wouldn't have baby been able to see the stage, but everybody walking past would have probably knocked her chair and it would have been very uncomfortable for her. But we kind of know what you're getting at. But I've digressed there. Anyway, Patrick and Baby go up on the stage and they put on this record and do a massive dance. Tell you what, he must have been a magic record player as it manages to play a song that won't be released for 24 years. Anyways, they do this massive dance and everyone's happy and Baby's dad says to Patrick, well done on not getting that woman up the door. You can carry on having a go on Baby if you want. Everyone joins in the dancing and that's where the film ends. Now I do know that this film is a lot of people's favourite film and they tend to be the people who have only ever watched one film. This was one of the biggest piles of shite I have ever fucking seen. I can safely say I would have had more fun digesting a Brillo pad. Now poor old Patrick Swayze did die in 2009 from cancer and from the interviews I've seen of him he did seem like a nice sound bloke. But he didn't half make some shite. I mean, for every point break, there's a ghost, three wishes, or a forever Lulu. Ratings-wise, I'm going to have to put this on a par with something like Saw 3, as when I watched that for the first time, I had fucking nightmares too. That was Dirty Dancing. Watch that if you want to see a man in his mid-forties skid up and down a church hall on his knees. Randall's Requests And just to top off a shit week, I've just been to the cupboard downstairs to get myself a Twix, and Mr White, who's done the shopping this week has got fucking jive bars from the Aldi. Does that man have no standards? Jesus fucking Christ. Randall recommends. On to Randall's recommends this week, and it's one from 2014 called Mercenaries. Now, this is a film about eight-foot-tall Bridget Nielsen, and she plays a right nasty shit who's going around shooting a load of good guys. Then, Queen of Kung Fu Cynthia Rothrock has to put together a team of ex-cons and go and kill her. It's a bit like a cross between The Suicide Squad and Bridesmaids. There's plenty to keep you entertained and enough action in it to empty a teenage boy's plums in minutes. Stick it on your watch list. Randall recommends. <clears throat> I'm still fucking fuming about the dark corridor. What a bastard. He only lives about an hour away in the car, the little fucker. Anyway, thanks for listening this week. I'm sorry the interview didn't work out as planned. Uh, why not send me an email? Unless your name's Raymond Cress, obviously. I think we're going to have to work out some sort of code system, aren't we? So we know which ones are the real ones. The email address, as always, is randallparker1971 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Ta-da for a bit.